Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, I have a confession to make as it relates to the topic du jour. Okay, okay, what do you got for me? I was doing some SNC alchemy draft, as as the people have done the past couple days, and Mm -hmm. I opened bootlegger stash. Uh Uh-huh. And I was a coward, and I took inspiring overseer over it because it was best of one and alchemy draft. I... I think that's fine. I think if you're going into the alchemy draft, I don't think you can have fun. Like you can have fun playing with busted (laughs) cards, but I think trying to make, you know, stupid do nothing six mana mythic rares good is a recipe for disaster. That was what I decided, but I felt guilty still. So I'm glad that you're absolving me of my my sins. And I yeah, have you been liking the the alchemy drafts? I have not been liking the alchemy drafts, and we'll we'll chat about that in just a second. I have a pack one pick one for you from the alchemy drafts that came up, but no alchemy card involved. But it was Inspiring Overseer versus Rabble Rousing. Do you have... I think the stats say Overseer is better. I would take Overseer. I've played with Rabble Rousing a lot, and I would take Overseer. Yeah. I, I just feel like maybe I'm just like not playing against it correctly. I feel such a feeling of dread when that card hits the battlefield. Versus Overseer is just slight dread, just medium amounts of dread. Yeah, I think Rabble Rousing is pretty beatable. Wow. Isn't o- Overseer is pretty beatable? It's just a 2-1. That draws you a card. I don't know. Overseer is great. It does everything yeah. you want to do. Rabble Rousing costs five mana, and you have to have a board presence ahead of your opponents, which is definitely not guaranteed in this format. That's very true. That's very true. Okay, yeah. Um, Back to the alchemy version. So if you're not... Uh, playing arena this weekend or if you haven't touched this event or watched any streamers do it what it is is it's basically a way to get the alchemy streets of new capenna cards into people's hands in a different way so certainly you can buy the packs you can craft them via your your wild cards or you can draft this event for i think it'll be up just through tomorrow so basically you know once the podcast comes out you won't uh, be able to play it but then it's a regular pack of streets of new capenna except they replace a common with one of these rare mythic or uncommon uh, alchemy cards which are largely busted and largely have just like made the the color disparity problem worse like whites to uncommons from the alchemy set are absolutely insane. I have found that it has made the other color pairs at least sort of viable to draft, though, because my experience has been that your deck is as good as the number of alchemy cards you have in it. Because they're just <laughs> yeah, basically. busted. And once I started thinking about it like Vintage Cube and just was like okay with losing in obscene ways to obscenely powerful cards, I think if you get those black or red or green alchemy cards, the green ones are not so great. But black and red also got huge boosts. Like I think Racto mm-hmm. Sacrifice is pretty big game now because there's another act of treason at Uncommon for Red, which also is super powerful, knowing that you're reliably going to see active treason to be able to do steal and sack. The Xander's Wake, the black uncommon, is almost as powerful as the white uncommons, if not more so. I, I think there's ways for the other colors to compete. Now, it is still wildly unbalanced and wildly powerful. So if you don't want to lose to random cards, you're not going to have a good time. But I think once you accept the nonsense of it all, I've been kind of enjoying it. I, I can't explain it other than it's there's like a gambler's like addiction in me that keeps going. Like I am <laughs> bleeding gems right now and I just keep requeuing. I'm not even streaming. I'm just like, yeah, I'll, I'll do another draft. I'm sure surely this one I'll get a busted deck and I'll get seven wins and then I don't and then I requeue and rinse repeat. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I have a love-hate relationship with it. It's definitely fun to play with new busted cards. I agree with that. Yeah, I, I, it's not 
a quality format by any stretch of the imagination. No, but no. <laughs> I mean, it's entertaining. It's a break from SNC, which we yeah. will go back to this week. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Uh, speaking of Vintage Cube, you dipped your toe into Vintage Cube on Magic Online this week. How was that for you? I did. It was great. I spent a lot of time when I was first getting deep into Magic, learning the Vintage Cube the hard way, just losing over and over again and trying to draft what my opponents did and all that. Just spewing gems into, oh, not spewing gems, spewing tickets, excuse me. Tickets, yeah. Into Magic Online, as it were. And I have since felt like it was kind of a solved format and just haven't had the itch to play the past two or three years, partially because it's come out more often. So I feel like it's a little too much ice cream in some senses, but I've taken mm-hmm. enough of a break that I have the itch to play Vintage Cube and it was a lot of fun. That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. That made me super happy to, to log on and see you uh, see you playing Vintage Cube on stream. And I got to to join you a little bit for some some heckles, which is always fun. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to more uh, more joint streams over the next month while you're on summer break and available during the day. Yeah, and maybe we'll do a little Vintage Cube episode as maybe our June bonus. We'll see. Yeah, I would definitely be into that for sure. But today we are talking about not quite the streets of New Capenna, Ben. We're looking at the, the back alleys of New Capenna, the road less traveled in New Capenna, whatever uh, whatever corny title you want for this episode. We got you covered. But we're going to be looking at, you know, some off the beaten path decks. If you feel like, all right, stuff is solved. I want to do something fun. I want to go deep. Well, we got you covered this week, and I cannot believe I saw on Twitter you were posting these decks that were just wild. And I was like, is this the first time that Ben has gone deeper in a format than I have? And I think it is. I think that is probably true. And I'm just living in the back alleys. Give me <laughs> give me the red green base decks. I just want to be base red green Jund for life in this format now. Wow. Base red, green, jund for life in this format. All right, well, we're going to be talking about all of those things in just a little bit. First things first, got some housekeeping to take care of. Let's talk about the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show. We've got a lot of sweet perks over at the Patreon page. Access to our awesome Discord. Again, we do this every few weeks, and I just feel like we don't do it enough. Shout out to our mods who are just running the show over there. You know, sometimes they check in with us like, hey, should we add a channel for this or blah, blah, blah. But they're just awesome. So huge love to our mods in the Discord and just huge love to our great community over there. There's never, there's never any problem. That's the other thing. Like, we never get people like, the mods being like, ah, eh, this person's being a little aggressive or doing a little blah. Like they're just great people coming into the Discord, talking about magic. It's a fantastic community. Love it over there. Other stuff that you can get over the Patreon, access to the show a day early. You get access to our show notes if you want to see, you know, the work we put in to the written form, the written side of the show. Uh, we get access to a private section of the Discord and even access to coaching sessions with me or Ben if you move all the way up the ranks. And of course, each week we want to welcome our new patrons to the fold. So this week we're welcoming Tatiana, John, Phileas, Sky, and Morgan. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. And I just want to echo what you said about just an absolutely fantastic community. And I'm assuming our listeners are just phenomenal people, regardless of whether or not they're in the Discord as well. So thanks for being awesome. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Show is also brought to you by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com, best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. Specifically, we've got Commander Legends, the Battle for Baldur's Gate sealed product on pre-order now, and I'm assuming also just available for order soon, right? Because pre-releases happened this weekend, yeah? That that was this weekend, for sure. So if you need Battle for Baldur's Gate sealed product in your hands, go to channelfireball.com. And anything else that you do over there, whether it's getting on CFB Pro to read articles by me, you, Alex, other pros on Team CFB or 
Maybe it's just buying a single for your commander deck. Who knows? But whatever you're doing, go over to channelfireball.com. Make sure you use code LOL, all caps, when you check out to let them know that we sent you over there. And we should probably take a second to say, hey, there's this new set. Why aren't that is draftable? Are you guys going to cover it? And the answer is no, because it's only available in paper. So Ben and I just aren't going to have access, the ability to get reps in with this kind of set. Um, If we were on Magic Online, we might talk about it and and maybe do like an episode on it. Um, But we're going to wait. We'll definitely be, once it comes out at the beginning of July, I believe we've got about a month until Alchemy Horizons colon Baldur's Gate comes out on Arena. And we'll definitely be uh, doing a ton of content on that set. Yeah. And I think some of it too is just a passion level for Battle for Baldur's Gate commander products as well. Like we could make it work, but our heart's not going to be in it. And I think... If there is one thing I am very proud of, it is that this is something we are both very passionate about. And I think that comes through. And I don't think that would be the case for Commander. Like we did it one other time and it just didn't feel very genuine to me. Yeah, we did it. We did a Commander Legends draft video last summer, I guess, is when that came out. And that was you know, to, to mixed success, I would say. Um, but I, I agree. It's not it's not a set that I'm like itching to go play. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll keep things in the streets for now. And uh, we're gonna be talking about going deep. We're gonna be talking about where Ben is living in the back alleys of New Capenna, as it were. So let's talk about this. I think uh, in general, we can use this as a way to, you know, we, we do this from set to set or when it's appropriate in sets or or I guess in the, in the case of this set, maybe when it's not appropriate, talk about <laughs> the multicolored, decks in the format the sort of five color good stuff decks how to get into them and these are certainly never tier one or they are rarely tier one strategies um but this is as a framework for thinking about it for for any kind of format but then looking at what to do in streets of new capenna specifically so ben why don't you start us off here yeah i think the impetus for this at least for me was thinking back to ixalan and i remember the episode we did for going deep in the ixalan format which was largely similar complaints to this format, right? Super narrow, very aggressive. You couldn't do sweet things. And there were sweet things to be done in Ixalan. Did you 3-0 reliably? No, but you felt like a champion if you 2-1. And it was (laughs) it was that sort of mentality that I think just us covering Ixalan over and over again that sort of got the podcast kind of started and that we Mm -hmm. did play the format all the way through the format, you know? And so I think that is true here for SNC as well. It's hard, but part of the challenge is what makes it so worth it when it does go well. So I think just as a general thought process for how to go deep in a format or maybe how to draft a big sweet control deck, that sort of thing. Reason number one that you want to be doing this is to have a reason to do it. You need some sweet bomb rare or some build around rare that if the game goes really long, you are likely to win. Maybe that's, you know, just some powerful creatures. Maybe it's an engine that provides you repeat advantage over multiple turns, but something has to propel you towards this. Some card or set of cards that you get in the draft has to make you want to do this. You shouldn't just do it to do it. This is, I think, just a really good way to zoom out and think about how to frame aggro and control decks. Like I always try and if people are like thinking about, you know, what what is your deck's game plan? If you're putting it on the spectrum from aggro to control, the definition of aggro in my mind is a, a deck that wants the game to end quickly. And then the opposite of that, a control deck would be a deck that wants the game to go on as long as possible. And then I would go, well, why do you want the game to go on as long as possible? It's because you have something worth having for the game to go on as long as possible whether that's some sort of you know infinite recursion loop thing that you can do in your deck assembling a few cards and comboing off or just having a bomb rare that you're like the longer the game goes the more likely i am to see this card and the more likely i am to win when that card hits the battlefield yeah for sure next up on this list is defensive speed shout out to limited resources for coining this phrase 
This just means creatures that block well slash cheap removal, right? Control decks, you can't just do nothing until turn four, or your first play of the game can't just be like casting divination on turn three. You've got to affect the board so that you can set yourself up to preserve your life total to get to that late game to find your bombs to win the game, right? So you need you know, whatever strangle you need. Maybe if you're in a base blue deck that's controlling, this is the time to pick up those backstreet bruisers as good little two mana, three, three blockers, stuff like that. I mean, bad examples from SNC, but something like Mayhem Patrol is not defensive speed, right? It is terrible on defense. And something like Psionic Snoop, maybe, if this were a different format, like a 1-4 slash 0-3 speed bump for the opponent that maybe gives you some card selection, something like that would be a creature with good defensive speed, something that has high toughness, low power, but that can maybe blank multiple of your opponent's attackers and give you some virtual card advantage that way that sort of thing and then cheap removal is also just absolutely premium for defensive speed it's kind of wild like is strangle i guess make disappears sort of though you can get into dicey situations with counter spells in as your defensive speed because if your opponent even lands one thing under you you're kind of out of luck because you then have to decide every subsequent turn like Am I holding up this counterspell for the next threat they play while this other threat is hitting me? Or do I affect the board to deal with the threat they played and then they're going to play a, a bigger threat that I have to deal with? Um, you can get into trouble if make disappears your you know defensive speed to drop. Yes, absolutely. Completely agree. And I think strangle being the only one is kind of why the aggressive decks are so good in this format. For sure. Next up, we've got card advantage. So you want cards that help you dig towards those reasons that you have in your deck to go deep and pull ahead of the opponent in a longer game. Maybe that's built into two for ones like inspiring overseer that's just a fantastic card but more classically in these style of decks outside of you know streets of nuka something like divination just two and a blue draw two cards that is a card that you want in a controlling deck that's trying to go deep you want to dig towards your bombs you want to help smooth your draw out make sure you hit land drops that's one of the most important things in a deck like this is hitting your land drop every turn and cards that let you draw two cards are going to help you keep those lands flowing and i think ideally again like if you're thinking about streets of nuka ideally it's things that that affect the board. So so something like out of the way is great, right? Because it's going to bounce a thing, you know, provide you a little bit of relief from a creature and draw a card or your connive creatures can dig you towards things, give you card selection. Even something like big score, which isn't card advantage, it's still card selection, but it's ramping you towards your, your six mana, your seven mana plays. It's giving you fixing for those six mana, seven mana plays as well. Speaking of fixing, that is our next point on this list. And going deep generally is going to involve splash cards, but not always. Sometimes you're just going to be a straight two color deck that really wants the deck to go to the late game, you know, for your on color bomb or whatever. But frequently you're going to be three colors. And in formats like Streets of Nuka Pena that have a lot of fixing available, you have the opportunity to responsibly play three, four, five colors. So you don't necessarily need to be four or five colors just for the thrill of being four or five colors. But if it's <laughs> appropriate to do, I think You should go for it, certainly, but you definitely need to be base two colors. That's a point we want to hammer home, and you have to have a responsible mana base. You see uh, me, Ethan, Alex just posted an absolutely awesome five-color Arcane Bombardment deck to Twitter and in our Discord. You see us doing these things, but our decks have good mana bases. They are base two colors largely and do have the appropriate number of sources for all of our splash cards. Yeah, like I had someone coming into my chat this week, you know, people people like to to rib you when you say something on the podcast and then they come in your stream and they see you doing something different. So, you know, anytime I'm playing three or more colors, like, oh, it's a two color format, they said. <laughs> and I'm like, look at my mana. Like, don't let the cards in my deck deceive you. Look at my mana base. Do I have eight sources at least of my two base colors? 
You better believe I do, right? I'm looking I'm looking at this amazing deck you posted on Twitter. It says, episode two of Masterpiece or Disaster. I'm just trying to feel something in Streets of New Capone, says Ben. <laughs> and it's a wild looking deck, so many different colors. But you look at the mana, seven swamps, seven mountains, and a Riveteer's Overlook. That's eight sources, baby. So don't let the splashing fool you. Last up on this list is removal, specifically removal that answers a wide variety of threats. You want to be able to answer your opponent's bombs or best cards if your goal is to have the game go long, right? This is why, again, if you think about aggro to control decks, aggro decks don't need a lot of interaction, right? They're they're posing a lot of threats, and then maybe you have a trick to push some damage or a couple pieces of interaction to remove some key blockers, whatever. Control decks, you better believe they've got to have removal for bombs. The longer the game goes, the more likely you are to see the best cards from your opponent's deck as well. And if you don't have ways to answer them, you're going to have a bad time. Yeah, I think those five things are, in my mind at least, the keys of you know control decks, decks that want to do sweet things. And I think not necessarily in that order per se, but you have to have elements of all of those things. And the most important one of all of them is you have to have the reason to do the thing, right? Just playing a control deck with no sweet finisher is not necessarily always going to be a recipe for success. I totally agree. We're going to take a quick break here and then we'll be back to talk about these five points specifically in Streets of New Capenna. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life can be overwhelming and many people are burned out without even knowing it. Symptoms can include lack of motivation, feeling helpless or trapped, detachment, fatigue, and more. I have definitely experienced burnout and all of that, especially prior to this year when I was really largely unhappy in my my day job, as it were, as a band director, just hadn't really found the right fit at a school. So the school date was really draining for me as an introvert, as a teacher, just and that's still true, even though I'm very happy with my current job. But then doing that on top of coming home to the podcast and streaming, I had a real work life imbalance and probably still do to a certain extent, but I'm, I'm much happier in my current job and very happy with my life right now. But I've been very burnt out leading up to this year due to all of those factors coming together constantly, for sure. I mean, we associate burnout with work, but that's not the only cause. Any of our roles in life can lead us to feel burned out and better help online therapy wants to remind you to prioritize yourself. Talking with someone can help you figure out what's causing stress in your life. We at Lords of Limited believe that therapy is a part of a healthy, normal lifestyle, and BetterHelp provides that service in a stress-free way. BetterHelp is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist, so you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Lords of Limited listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com Lords. That's BetterHelp.com Lords. And now back to the show. All right, Ben, this is this is your brainchild mostly. So things you have access to in streets to go deep. How do you get from the streets to the back alleys? Ooh, let me tell you, there are <laughs> lots of paths to get down those back alleys. And I think one of the things that is really important to note about this specifically in SNC, in some formats, you can just start a draft assuming that you're going to go deep and end up with a reason to go deep because there are so many of them in a certain format. Mm -hmm. Streets of New Capenna is not that format. (laughs) I think if you just start a draft, assuming you're going to go deep, I think that's a recipe for disaster and not recommended by us unless you're really bored with the format and you have the gems to burn. And if you are in that situation, by all means, go deep from the beginning. But you're definitely going to lose a lot. And please send us screenshots on Twitter. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So I think 
in Streets of New Cabana, you need to step one, make sure you end up with the reason to go deep first, whether that's a sweet build around rare. But there are things that push you down this path. And I think if you do want to start your draft going deep without necessarily a reason, the best way to increase your odds of getting to do something sweet is just don't draft white, like bias yourself away from white. And I think the opportunities for sweetness are much more in the Jund or the Maestros, Riveteers or Maestros families. Well, in my experience so far, a lot of the like cool things to do or a lot of the ways to reliably get to do something cool at non-rare is with treasures. And treasures enable splashing as well. Not that you need that in this format specifically because there's so many uh, duels to enable splashing too. But I found being base red green is helpful in both because it's a less desirable color pair for other people. So it's more likely to be open for you. And then also is more likely to provide treasures so that then you get to do sweet things. Yes. And I will say step two or maybe even step one A is if you want to do this, you should be playing best of three. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yes, 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 for sure. Good good caveat there. Like, I don't think you should be doing this in best of one, certainly at the plat- platinum diamond, you know, mythic rankings. I think it is a recipe for disaster. But in best of three, these decks are actually competitive. I've lost in the finals with one of them. Oh, three with one of them. But I think that was just some really unfortunate luck. It was a good, powerful deck. So I think best of three is the place to be for this sort of stuff. So what specific cards are you looking out for? Or things that like, what's on your short list of, ooh, pack one, pick ones? I mean, a lot of rares. I think there are not a ton of uncommons that push you down this route. The mm-hmm. biggest one is Dust Mangler, the five black, black, five, four. Um, that when it ETBs, your opponent sacrifices a creature, loses four life and discards a card. And if you cast it, you have to do one of those three things yourself. That is a great reason to try to go deep and maybe do some sort of sweet Riveteers reanimator package with it. But a lot of rares also, Arcane Bombardment, fantastic build around. That's the enchantment that cares about you casting spells and lets you just really get a ton of value if you cast spells over multiple turns. Bootlegger Stash is a really cool one. That's the one that lets your lands tap for treasure. There's a lot of sweet combos with that. Just really powerful rares like Titan of Industry, Zeatora the Incinerator, the Riveteer's 6-6 Dragon, Soul of Emancipation. That's the Broker's 5-7 that can blow up uh, non-land permanents and turn them into 3-3 Angels. There's a lot of powerful rares that people maybe don't pick. Like Soul of Emancipation has gone pretty late because it's kind of awkward in a Broker's deck, right? Broker's wants to get the game over with early with Temple Plays not cast some seven drop. So that's one that's frequently ended up in my deck now that I've seen the light and started maybe <laughs> trying to get to seven CMC cards, you know? Yeah, for sure. I'll throw out another one here. This is white, so maybe it's on the on the no-no list, but I have enjoyed building around Obscura Ascendancy. That's the white, blue, black enchantment. Cares about you casting mana values. So, you know, you cast a one mana value thing, gets a counter, you get a two, two spirit with flying and then moving up the chain. And then once you have five counters on the thing, which I have done once, uh, all your spirits get plus three plus three. Um, I think that's a pretty fun thing to build around. But generally, I think, again, you might have to touch white or at least be base blue, black, splashing white. For sure. Next up, we've got defensive speed. And this is, I think, thanks to Blitz, thanks to white being aggressive. It's the toughest part of the equation in Streets of New Capenna. Normally, you get to draft good blockers and try to accrue virtual card advantage by blanking multiple of your opponent's creatures. In Streets, planning to block is planning to lose a lot of the time. There's just so many brutal combat tricks. Yeah, I think if you are trying to block for your defensive speed, you're doing it wrong. I think you really need cheap removal. 
And Strangle is the best piece of interaction you can have. The red sorcery speed deal three. And it's one of the reasons that base red green is one of the best color pairs for going deep in addition to access to treasure. But Strangle is irreplaceable in these types of decks because you can just snap off your opponent's civil servant. You can snap off your opponent's 2-3 celestial regulator. You have to be able to deal three damage to the two drop and three drop commons that are powerful. And even something like light them up, the one in a red deal two at sorcery speed and then it has casualty two. Like that's not a very good card, but that's serviceable if your plan is, look, I'm just trying to pick off the two drop or the three drop from my opponent. And sometimes it'll be outclassed and that's why strangle is way better, but it's serviceable here. And, you know, you can do hold for ransom in a pinch or kill shot if you've got other ways to pass with mana, or if you know you're reliably going to be hitting your white sources, etc. But those are the things you need to be on the lookout for. Right. If you're a base red deck and you have a choice between light them up and something like Riveteers Initiate, common sense says that you'd rather have Riveteers Initiate in that two drop slot, but Riveteers Initiate isn't necessarily trading with anything. Maybe that's a bad example because it can get death touch. But imagine some 2-2 bear like that you're just planning to trade for your opponent's 2-drop. That's a bad plan in this format. So you'd rather have light em up and light em up, yes, doesn't deal with your opponent's civil servant, but neither does that 2-mana two 2-2 two that you put <laughs> in your deck. And against other cards where you are trying to block with your 2-mana two 2-2, two two, you can still get blown out against your opponent's 2-2, two two, you know? Like it's just better to not plan to block if you have the ability to do that. The other piece of the equation here for defensive speed is lifelink. And it doesn't even have to be on creatures like, I think Snooping Newsy is a good example here. And, you know, Newsy's coming down as a 2-2 on turn two. But the fact that you, you know, okay, I'm going to have to take some hits here, but I know that I've got enough lifelink or incidental life gain in my deck, which honestly, there isn't that much of. I've got enough of this incidental life gain hanging around that I know I'll be able to get this life back and, and claw back into the game later. Right. Or maybe you've got Fleetfoot Dancer, the, the Cabaret oh, Rare, yeah. the 4-4 four, four, Haste Lifelink Trample, and you can tank some hits and then you know that you're going to be able to maybe jump that into the air with Gilded Pinions and build your own Baneslayer and kind of stabilize that way. And mm -hmm. I will say, circling back around to the removal, something like Kill Shot in a deck like this, normally that is a terrible card in a white deck, right? Two and a white, destroy target attacking creature. If you know you're going to be on defense... Cards like Killshot get way better in decks like this that want to go deep. Not necessarily in this format because there are still shield counters running around, but you mm -hmm. do want some sort of Killshot or murder style effect in your deck, and maybe you don't get a murder. You can splash a Killshot super easily off of some treasure in these style of decks, and it can be a premium piece of interaction for you. Yeah, for sure. Next up on the equation, we've got Card Advantage in Streets of Nukapenna. I think one of the things that these decks do best is they have the ability to splash Inspiring Overseer without being white. So you, you get the best that white has to offer without having to scrap it out in the trenches with everybody else in your draft pod over white. You know, your neighbor maybe gets pushed off white and they ship you an Inspiring Overseer. Great. Snatch it up and don't be base white, but then still you get a cast Inspiring Overseer and all these other colors have a lot of sweet cards to combo with Inspiring Overseer to cast it multiple times. And I think that is the single best way you can get card advantage in these decks. Yeah, using fake your own death or dig up the body to grab it back after it's traded or, you know, traded with a creature or traded with a removal spell. Um, there's a lot of sweet ways to abuse the Overseer for sure. Yes, and I think you should be splashing every single copy of Inspiring Overseer always in this format, <laughs> even if you're not trying to go deep. <laughs> yeah, I think that's probably true. Next up, we've got Big Score. This is my pet card in the format. This is three that's in a red. so funny. 
Three in a red, instant. Uh, as an additional cost to cast it, you have to discard a card. And when you do, you draw two cards and make two treasure tokens. The worst part about this card is that both Make Disappear and Disdainful Stroke get it. So you have to be really careful about when you cast this against blue decks. And honestly, just playing against blue decks in general is probably a losing proposition if you're playing this <laughs> style of deck because Make Disappear and Disdainful Stroke are so good against the strategy that you're trying to do. And they're just good cards in the format in general. But if you can time a big score right, this is, one, a way to dig towards those cards that you have to go deep in your deck. It's going to help you find your Arcane Bombardment. It's going to help you find your Titan of Industry. And not only that, it's also going to ramp you towards them so that the very next turn, you can cast them ahead of schedule. It just does everything you want as far as going deep. Yeah, these style of cards, you know, we've seen them before. Seize the spoils in Kaldheim. These, you know, if, if it's a, a, a tormenting voice style, if we're going all the way back to splashing in Theros Beyond Death, you know, Thrill of Possibility plus Traveler's Amulet was our way to do this here. And now, now we've just got it all in one card. This sort of like fixing plus digging towards or pitching your bombs that you can't cast. Um, these style of cards are really important for this um, kind of strategy, you know, format to format. But then think about taking turn off to cast big score in this format, right? That is a recipe for disaster in a normal game of magic. So you really have to make sure that you set that up with, you know, maybe light them up your two drop, strangle your three drop on the subsequent turns before you big score. Because if your mm -hmm. opponent has a board presence, the turn you go to big score, you're just a sneeze away from being too far behind to possibly recover. Right. Even something like a turn five Titan of Industry might not be able to stabilize you against some starts if you don't back it up. If you don't back up your big score turn with the kind of plays that Ben is describing. Another one that's really gone up in my pick order lately, and I still haven't played with it, oddly enough, but it keeps being awesome for my opponents and I keep wanting to play with it. I just haven't seen it is Unlucky Witness, the red one one that whenever it dies you exile the top two cards of your library and you can play those until the beginning of your next end step if you've got some casualty payoffs this card does work and if opponents attack into it you get to untap with those cards so it's kind right. of like a roadblock in some sense like your opponents are disincentivized from attacking into it like one mana gain three life or whatever and then see your more choice cards. yeah get yeah. your choice of one of those two cards all right that's an interesting way to frame that card next up we've got uh le briefcase courier's briefcase <laughs> is one of my favorite cards and i i think i just value it way too much certainly outside of the style of deck but in these decks you often have a lot of treasures and it's pretty doable to crack this for the three cards and the fact that it comes with a one one body a one one body that's a citizen that's also relevant sometimes i think makes this a pretty uh pretty sweet include in these decks yeah this deck yeah this card is absolutely premium in these decks gives you a little bit of defensive speed you know maybe trades with your opponent's gathering throng while being a ticking time bomb to potentially draw three cards off some treasure mm -hmm. next up is warm welcome that's the tuna green instant speed make a one one and then look at the top five put a creature from among them into your hand it's not technically card advantage but it does dig towards your bombs if they're creatures you know you've got that titan of industry that you want to find Warm Welcome is all of a sudden a much more exciting card to put in your deck. And I think the one word of warning about Warm Welcome is you just have to make sure your creature counts high enough if you include this. Because frequently, rather than, you know, the 15 to 18 creatures, I think that is the norm in this format. Warm Welcome decks and these these decks that go late in general with these bombs tend to be more in the 11 to 13 ish creatures range, in my experience, because you're trying to have 
so much more removal to interact with your opponent than normal. What's your minimum for warm welcome? I would say 13 would be my absolute minimum, and I'm not really happy until I'm up to 15. I mean, I have no no mathematical basis for this number, but I my initial thing when you asked that question was 14. That was the number that popped in my head. <laughs> so in between those two, love to love it. I love it. Okay. Uh, next up, we've got two niche blue cards, I'd say Tainted Indulgence and a little chat. I actually like Indulgence a little bit more because it, even though it doesn't provide any sort of, um, you know, treasures like big score, it's doing that sort of cheap dig. That's the blue black, you know, draw two cards, discard a card, uh, unless you have five MVs, then you just straight up draw two cards. So nice in a base blue black deck. And then a little chat is the one in a blue has casualty one and you look at the top two cards of your library put one in your hand and the other on the bottom um what do you think about this card i have liked this card quite a bit just in general in the format assuming that you have you know maybe some expendable lackeys in your deck you have some backup agents that are going to be sitting around as one ones i think it's a powerful card and in these decks it both of these cards just a help you keep the land drops flowing and dig you towards your bombs for sure next up we've got corpse appraiser aka the poor man's inspiring overseer blue black red for the three three and when it etbs if you exile a creature from a graveyard you get to look at the top three and put one of those in your hand the rest into your graveyard which is also a benefit because frequently these decks have reanimation packages as well to you know cast those bombs over and over so i think corpse appraiser is really strong in these style of decks it's pretty demanding on your mana but if you have the ability to make it work it's one of the best again best things you can have as far as card advantage and i know ben alluded to you know divination as just a three mana draw to being a good kind of card for these decks sometimes but i would really caution you against the four mana draw twos that's demons do in black which is scry two then draw two you lose two life and uh what's the blue one case the joint which is three and a blue draw two then look at the top card of each player's library they just don't do enough right I agree, mostly because they don't ramp you towards the thing afterwards. Like big score is risky enough when you can assume you're going to be casting a seven drop the turn after you big score. The risk of just not doing anything on turn four to affect the board is too high in this format, I think. And there are just better ways to do it. Big score is just 100% better than those two cards. Totally agree. All right, we're going to take one more quick ad break and then we'll be back to talk about fixing... Today's podcast is brought to you by Athletic Greens. This is a product that I've started using every day to improve my energy and immune system. I take it first thing in the morning, and even though it looks like a green smoothie, it tastes like a vanilla protein shake. So what is this stuff? With one scoop of AG1, you're absorbing 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food-sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens to help you start your day right. This special blend of ingredients supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, and focus. It's lifestyle-friendly whether you eat paleo, vegan, dairy-free, gluten-free, or low-carb like me. It supports better sleep quality and recovery as well as mental clarity and alertness, all things important for grinding those weekend magic tournaments. Right now, it's time to reclaim your health and arm your immune system with convenient daily nutrition. It's just one scoop in a cup of water every day. That's it. No need for a million different pills and supplements to look out for your health. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com LOL. Again, that is athleticgreens.com LOL to take ownership over your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. And now, back to the show. All right, mana fixing, Ben. This is my favorite aspect of the format, I guess, and my favorite aspect of these style of decks is treasures. Yeah, treasures are super sweet. And I think honestly, when we were pitched this 
family style three color format with treasure being a huge part of it. I was just assuming we were going to be doing nonsense all of the time with treasure and I was really looking forward to it. I think the fact that that ended up being the worst strategy is part of why I dislike this format a little bit. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. But we're talking, we're we're putting positive spins on things this time. So it's very common, I think, for these decks to be base red, green. Riveteers or Cabaretti, honestly, has been my experience when you're going deep because you get access to, you know, the great cheap removal and strangle and treasures. I think Exhibition Magician and Jewel Thief do double duty in these decks as bodies that affect the board, plus giving you treasures, whether or not you want them to ramp immediately or to fix later on or to utilize with your briefcase or whatever. And not only do treasures fix your mana, but they also ramp you towards your six and seven drop bombs that you have in your deck. Yeah, 100%. And I will say once I have embraced this style of deck, the format feels more open in best of three because like you aren't necessarily expecting to three with these decks, but I do think you could pretty reliably two one even with just base red green decks that aren't necessarily going super deep. And once you get in that mindset, the drafts feel a lot more fun to me once I'm willing to take a strangle and draft red green, you know? Well, because you've got a plan with one of two scenarios, right? The one scenario is the people at your pod are not drafting brokers. And so you get to draft a good brokers deck. And then the other plan is, okay, I don't want to fight over brokers because it's being fought over by other people. And now I have this back alley to go down, right? Yes, mm -hmm, absolutely. Another huge piece of the fixing puzzle in this format is lands. And you're often going to end up with the ability to use a lot of your lands, those allied two colors and the family fetches. And I think treasure should be your plan A. But if you don't necessarily have access to the treasure, you don't have as much access to treasure as you want. These family lands can do a ton of work. And sometimes you're just going to be a three color family deck. You're not necessarily going to be touching four and five colors. Maybe you just are Riveteers and the lands are going to be premium pieces of fixing for you in that scenario. Can I just talk to you about like the sweetest treasure deck that I had the other day? Please. Okay, so here are all the things that care about treasures in my deck. I have Black Market Tycoon and two Glittermongers to make treasures. I also have Gallagreeders, which does infinite duty with my double stimulus package because you can sack a treasure, a 1-1 comes into play, Gallagreeders triggers, and you get to make a tap treasure. Then on your opponent's turn, you can rinse and repeat. So you get a 1-1 every turn. Double Jetmere's Fixer. Venom Connoisseur to pair with my Pyre Sledge Arsonist. We'll talk about that in just a second. Just like the dream. I also have security rocks. So I got to live the dream of Black Market Tycoon on turn two. Then turn three, Jewel Thief, make a treasure with Tycoon, cast security rocks for its alternate cost. Oh, I saw that screenshot on Twitter. That was so gross. <laughs> yeah, that was awesome. I mean, that's like once a format type stuff, but you know, there are there are some white whales out there for sure. And I think past that, the fixing gets pretty scarce. I mean, treasure lands are your plan A. You've got the family fixtures. You've got ominous parcel. I'm way lower on ominous parcel these days. How about, how about you? I am too. Well, I think part of that is ominous parcel feels like a necessary evil a lot of the time when you know you have to run a basic a lot of the times in these decks you don't run the basics for your splashes right you're, you're a little too worried about that you need the sources for your main two colors so i agree i'm, I'm a lot lower on parcel i want to ask you about the family fixers too like let's say your base red green 
splashing black, but you have a ton of treasures. Are you playing like rakish revelers in that deck? I don't think so. I think you just have better things to do. Yeah. So you want the family fixers when you're touching all three of those colors. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the, the minimum I'm saying. I'm not saying that like you want you actively want them, but I'm saying that's the minimum requirement. Yes, I would say so. What's your thoughts? We got this question in our discord this week. What are your thoughts on Halo Scarab? That's the two mana, two one artifact, and then you can pay two and exile it from your graveyard to make a treasure. I don't know if this means I've gone too deep, but I'm starting to like Halo Scarab in the format in these style of decks. I mean, you're only playing it if you're short on two drops, but sometimes you are short on two drops because you're spending picks on more expensive cards to finish the game with, and then you just don't get the two drops. And Halo Scarab trades with things, and it gives you a treasure, ramps you a turn ahead of schedule, maybe, you know, when you've got a turn that you can sort of double spell by playing another two drop and then exiling your Halo Scarab. I think it is playable. I mean, it's certainly not good, but I think it's more of a break in case of emergency, need some two drops and, you know, am playing four or five colors type of card. That's fair. Yeah, a little bit of an an emergency uh, off ramp or whatever. Uh, And the last piece of the puzzle here is connive, which can help you pitch cards that you can't cast and help smooth your draws. Connive is just a great limited mechanic and having more of those cards in your deck is just going to make your deck more consistent. As far as removal, we touched on this a little bit ago, a couple episodes ago, but you really need a mixture of removal to survive in Streets of New Capenna. You need cheap interaction to get rid of the X3s, but you also need to be able to deal with shield counters and large creatures, which is part of the reason why this format is so hostile to these style of decks, because not only do you need your strangles, your murders, your deal gone bads in your deck, you also have to draw it at the right time and line it up with when your opponent's casting your threats that require very specific types of answers to them. That's exactly true. I mean, I talked about a few weeks ago that I was thinking that in some red-black decks, I feel like Deal Gone Bad is better than Murder, just because I feel like a lot of the ways that these normal two-color decks fold is to shield counters. And so you're you're so right that you need to have a mixture of these cards, and then you also need to draw them in the right order. And you also have to be a little judicious about, okay, I'm playing against a broker's opponent. I know I only have whack in my deck. Am I supposed to fire it off on this elegant entourage, or am I supposed to maybe try and wait for murder to kill that and save the whack for something with a shield counter on it how devastating is a shield counter to me etc like you really need to think about all those things before firing off the, the removal spells yeah so this is not news to anyone but you want cards like murder deal gone bad whack call on a professional grizzly sigil you almost certainly need to be base black or base red to get access to the right kind and amounts of removal to be able to survive in these style of decks and i think also you know having those removal spells at the right time, that goes back to card advantage, right? You're more likely to be able to find the right removal when you want if you have ways to dig towards and see more cards in your deck. Yeah, absolutely. And then we've got a sixth category here of specific cards in streets that go way up in value once you're going deep. The first three on this list are uh, recursion spells and blacks. We have Dig at the Body, Fake Your Own Death, and Graveyard Shift. Dig, I think, is context dependent. What context are you looking for before you're putting Dig in your deck? Mostly you want some self-mill, like you want some snooping newsies, you want deal gone bad. Although I will say 
in these style of decks, you have to be careful depending on what the makeup of your mana base is. There's mm-hmm. frequently been times I've had, you know, one planes and I really needed to be able to find that one planes. And if I milled it, it was a disaster. So you kind of got to know what your deck is asking of you before you just go willy nilly milling yourself when you're going deep. But mm-hmm. assuming that you are not worried about losing the ability to cast your spells, milling yourself is generally great. And you also just want cards with good ETBs and or bombs to occur. You know, if you're right. if your reasons to go deep are rares like titan of industry or the five five mythic angel or whatever milling yourself and then reanimating those is a great way to see them more often during the course of the game and even cards like inspiring overseer if you've got two inspiring overseers dig up the body goes way up in value because if you can you know cast those block redraw them with dig up the body recast them you're just getting so much of an advantage over your opponent over the course of a longer game there's so much velocity in this format, and especially all the self-mill baked into blue-black. I just, Why is there not a clear-the-mind style card here? I think that would make these kinds of decks so much better. If you didn't have to be scared of self-mill in terms of like, I might deck myself. And I know, I think people are scared of decking more than they should be, but it is a concern at some point in these kinds of decks. I'm not so worried about decking as I am destroying my mana base, usually. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so we talked about having good ETBs for fake your own death. And I think Graveyard Shift is just often great in these decks, you know, provided that you have the connive to pitch stuff, you've got the self mill or the big score or whatever. But I think Graveyard Shift generally finds its way into these decks happily. Yes. And I think is good. Like you should pick it pretty aggressively once you have a bomb rare that's a creature. Mm hmm. We've talked about big score. That card is irreplaceable. I think good enough that you are willing to pick it out of weak packs rather than risking it not wheeling. And certainly once you know you have the seven drops that you're planning to splash, you just need two to three copies of big score. Talked about strangle as being important cheap removal, exhibition magician and jewel thief, but you already know jewel thief is good. So exhibition magician is on here. It's just body plus treasure or you know sometimes two bodies if that's what you need that's nice and then of course stimulus package context dependent but is honestly one of the non-rare reasons to kind of try and go deep well and like can in case of emergency just be four mana ramp you to turn seven you know sure yeah yeah that's definitely a, a fail case for it so i think those are the ways to think about you know what kind of cards you want to go in your deck in streets of new Capenna. you know we touched on all those categories you also should be thinking about how and when to get into this style of deck responsibly during the course of the draft right so i think the, the first and foremost way to do it is white and broker's isn't open. So I think, you know, we're not talking about opening a pack with Disciplined Duelist and, I don't know, Arcane Bombardment and taking Arcane Bombardment over Disciplined Duelist. That's not the world that we're trying to live in here. Though, again, you can if you've got to read on the meta and you're just trying to to feel something as Ben was this past week. Um, But we're not saying that you should be, you know, taking these kinds of niche cards over the good broker's cards. But when it's not open, this is a great off-ramp. I will say I do think there is no world where I'm not making Arcane Bombardment over Discipline Duelist at this point in the format if I'm in best of three. And if I had been in best of three with my bootleggers uh, pick versus Inspiring Overseer, I also think I would have taken bootleggers stash there. I think it is worth it in best of three if you're deep in the format and you're bored to make those kinds of picks. And I don't actually think you're giving up that much equity. Wow. I think I agree with everything you said, except for the amount of equity you're giving up. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, maybe I'm deluding myself. (laughs) Uh, The next point we've got is you get good cards early that you get pushed off of in pack one. So, you know, you open a Titan of Industry, you're making a few picks, and then it's pretty clear that green isn't open. Well, maybe you'll get into like a red, black, 
treasure reanimator style deck or whatever. But you you really want to make those powerful cards that you see early work. Another reason would be you can't find a two color pair with enough two drops during pack one. You know, we're advocating be two colors, have a lot of two drops, you know, have a good curve, leverage the tempo that you get with all these good tricks. If you don't settle into a, a two color pair and get those two drops, you're way less incentivized to try to do those things that we're advocating for. And the last point is your seat is a Riveteer seat or, or maybe even just a base red-green seat and you hedge towards nonsense with picks late, like big scores, and then you're past some rares. And a lot of times what you'll, you'll really have to wait for is pack three. Generally in these style of decks, no matter the format, you kind of have to, if you don't have a reason, you can kind of fingers crossed that you'll get a reason in pack three, like that someone, once they're solidified in their two color deck, is going to open something off color and it's going to make its way to you. Yeah, for sure. And then you've got a lot of great things here about specific cards and just kind of what packages of other cards you want to play to support those as far as maybe some ways to think about going deep in the format. For sure. So I just like went through the whole card list and was like, okay, what have I done? What have I seen? What have I maybe brewed in my head and not quite done myself? The first thing is treasure packages. And there's just a lot of, of things to consider. It's sort of like piece A and piece B, right? You need repeatable treasure makers and then things that care about treasures. Uh, Glittermonger, Bootlegger Stash, and Black Market Tycoon are your repeatable treasure makers. And I do think once you know you're in this style of deck, you do want to make sure you pick up at least one Glittermonger. It's going to depend what your four drop slot looks like, of course, but I do think repeatable ways to make treasure is very important, at least in the in these kinds of decks that I've had. And then there's a lot of ways to care about treasures. So certainly stimulus package as the red green uncommon that turns your treasures into one one citizens. Pyre Sledge Arsonist cares about treasures because it cares about the permanents that you sacrifice. And we'll talk about some combos with Arsonist in just a second. Um, at rare, you've got Ginny Fay turning the treasures into 3-1 Vigis or 2-2 Hasties. Uh, Gala Greeters, we talked about the sort of loops you can do with, you know, Alliance, make a treasure, turn it into a, a creature with package. You can even do some wombo combo stuff with stimulus package and maybe like a bootlegger stash and devilish valet which is the one in a red rare uh it has trample haste and alliance double its power um so you can do some some stuff there in terms of pyre sledge arsonist i just discovered this this week so i already knew that arsonist this is two in a red two two pay one tap it and it deals damage to any target equal to the number of permanents you've sacrificed this turn and so I certainly knew already, and we've talked about it before, that it was a sweet treasure payoff, right? You know, sack a bunch of treasures, you know, go face, deal damage to a creature, whatever. What I didn't realize was how good it was with untappers. I had Ooh. it in a deck. I had it in a deck with two civic gardeners, and I had them in play. And I, you know, I had lethal in this other way. But what I could have done was activate the arsonist, attack with the two gardeners, untap arsonist, activate it again. And then untap arsonist activated again. So I could have like just done 12 to my opponent that turn with the treasures that I had and that combo. And then, you know, if you're if you're really lucky and you get a halo fountain, that's the white mythic that untaps creatures that also works with the arsonist. So so don't sleep on untappers with arsonist and then also venom connoisseur to give it death touch 
can turn any ping into a way to kill any creature. And to do that, you have to have two creatures out of the battlefield. So that's probably with something like Stimulus Package or Cabaretti Charm or something like that. Yeah, or the the green-white uncommon, the 2-4 that then attacks um, into attacks and makes a 1-1 citizen. That's a way to get a, a free trigger, free second creature trigger in your turn. Um, you can tell I've done done a lot more Cabaretti stuff than I've done Riveteer's stuff with these decks. All right, we've got Angel of Suffering or Rock's Pummeler in tandem with Mr. Orfeo the Boulder and or Brass Knuckles. Right, so just looking for ways to double the power of these like massive threats. So Angel of Suffering, obviously a lot harder to assemble because it's a mythic, but it is a 5-3 flyer for five, which is a great curve out with Mr. Orfeo the Boulder to double its power when it attacks. That's a way to end the game real quick. Or Rock's Pummeler as the six mana 6-3 shield counter. As long as it's got a shield counter, it has trample. That with Mr. Orfeo is insane, a 12 power trampler with a shield counter or with brass knuckles to give it double strike and trample. So some ways to like combo and get these big hits, I think, are are definitely things you want to be on the lookout for. This next one, I want to know if you did. I was I was watching the draft where you were like, eh, maybe I'll try this and see what happens. Yeah. So, so got- <laughs> next up is Queso. Queso, uh, actually, sorry, I keep calling that card Queso. <laughs> <laughs> the three, four that whenever you draw a card, it drains your opponent for one and you gain a life plus cut of the profits which is black black x and you draw x cards and lose x life and it has casualty three yeah i also had illicit shipment which is the five mana tutor with casualty three so i was like okay i drafted a bunch of maestros initiates as three mana three power creatures that i could sacrifice to this also um what's it called uh, uh, the crooked custodian that's the two mana three two that's good with your casualty three stuff as well so i was like oh i could tutor up both of these with my illicit shipment and then combo off so that the idea is you cast cut of the profits with quasi in play and you know you, you do it for x equals five and all of a sudden you're doing 10 to your opponent i did not ever assemble this combo i have seen this combo from the other side from an opponent but i've never done it myself so that's still on my bucket list what a letdown you were so excited telling that story and then the punchline was and i didn't do it <laughs> Look, that's just the good content I provide. I I still keep chasing the Vampire Scrivener dream, and I don't know why. It's so bad. But there was a draft once that I saw two Shadow of Mortalities floating around. So that's the rare. It's like 15 mana for a 7-7, but it costs less generic mana uh, for each point of life lower than your starting life total or whatever. So I was thinking, well, maybe you can get a bunch of ways to lose, lose life, like Cutthroat Contenders, get your life down, cast Cheap Shadows, trigger your Vampire Scriveners. But this is this is just probably too bad to be to be even worth doing. That sounds terrible to me. I, I'm wanting powerful Mythic Rares when I'm doing this stuff. I know, I know, I know. Not mediocre comments and uncommons. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Uh, talk to me about Arcane Bombardment. I haven't done this yet. What do you need to make this card work? It's so good. It's four red red for an enchantment. And whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell each turn, you exile an instant or sorcery at random from your graveyard. And then you can cast that without paying its mana cost. So you can also trigger it on your opponent's turn um, at instant speed. And you get a spell for each time you've exiled one away. So the first time you do it, you get one. The second time you cast a spell, you get two. The third time you cast it, you get three. So it just gets rapidly out of hand in a huge hurry. It's very powerful. And this is actually a very real build around and I think a reason to build around and that you can expect to win with. But you just want to be on the lookout for cheap removal, like your strangles, your murders, your deal gone bads. You want a ways to deal with shield counters. You really want big score and cheap cantrips to help you find your arcane bombardment. And then the last really a piece de resistance is uh, 
join the maestros, the, the four and a black four, three, um, so that it's a spell that's also a creature. So once you a helps you add to the board to trigger your arcane bombardment. And then once you exile it, every time you cast a spell, you get a four, three for free. Awesome. I can't wait to do it. Uh, we've got Cormella and recursion. This is pretty clear. And I think not a reason to go deep, but just sort of a package you want to be aware of that, you know, you can loop Cormella with a fake your own death or whatever, dig up the body, though that might be scary for decking yourself. But you want some ways to uh, to recur creatures and then you can combo those with Cormella. I have experienced Falco, Spara, Pact Weaver plus Celebrity Fencer. So Falco is the 3-3 three, three flyer, comes with a shield counter and you can remove a counter from a creature you control to cast a creature off the top of your library. Well, if you do that with a Celebrity Fencer in play, every creature you play puts, puts a counter on Celebrity Fencer and then you can remove that counter <laughs> oh to cast God. a creature next turn. <laughs> And then rinse and repeat. And that's, that's so bad. That's not a bad comp. Like, that's a wait. What do you mean that's so bad? I mean, celebrity friends are such a terrible magic card. But, sir, infinite creatures. I mean, come on. That's pretty spicy. Wow. The mayor of the back alleys is telling me that Celebrity Fencer is bad. What am I going to do with my life? Next up here, we've got Soul of Emancipation plus Treasures and I should say Shield Counters. So this is uh, the four green, white, blue, five, seven ETBs. You can blow up up to three non-land permanents and you turn them into three, three angels. Well, certainly doing that with Treasures is awesome. But if you target a creature you control with a Shield Counter on it, it just removes the shield counter. So if you've got like wing shield agent in play, you can just remove the shield counter from it and get a 3-3 and your wing shield agent stays in play. Yeah, Soul of Emancipation, I think is the card that I have most frequently been building around in these style of decks because it's one that you see late fairly often and it goes so well with treasures. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I really like Unlicensed Hearse. This is the two-mana vehicle at Rare. It's a star star. Its power and toughness are equal to the number of cards exiled with it. It has crew two, and you can tap it to exile up to two cards from a single graveyard. First of all, the fact that this just hoses a weaker strategy in the format is kind of brutal. I have definitely played with this against blue-black decks and had it played against me in a blue-black deck. And the fact that like you're so reliant on filling your own graveyard which just fuels this unlicensed hearse. And then you also don't have the ability to get to five MVs. It's just wild. But I'd also have the, uh, the combo kill of crew this as like a 14-14 and attack with it with a wing shield agent for a one-shot flying attack late game, which feels a little bit, you know, combo-y like the Mr. Orpheo or Brass Knuckles with the creatures we talked about before. And lastly, I can assure you that meeting of the five families is a trap. I have put that card in a deck. <laughs> I, have really I have monster. cast that card. It is atrocious. Well, it's one of the problems I had, I had a deck, that, I had a draft that was going really poorly. Saw a meeting of the five families, already had a bunch of like three color cards. I was like, why not? Like maybe this will get me like a cool screenshot for Twitter. But one of the things I realized by the time I was done with my deck, you know, I had a few copies of Masked Bandits. That's the Riveteers Family Fixer, which is six mana. So one of the things that meeting the five families does is you only really get to cast two spells off of it, right? Like it's giving you double Wooberg mana to use that mana to only cast three MV thing or only to cast things that have three colors of mana in them. So, you know, you exile, you get masked bandits and one other card. You're not really even getting that much of a rebate on your mana, right? Meeting the five families costs eight. So then I'm casting a <laughs> six mana thing and a three mana thing. Like it's just so abysmally bad. <laughs> All right. Worth noting that I shouldn't be yeah. chasing that dragon. I will say yeah. the other thing about these decks, you were talking about just unlicensed Hearst randomly hosing decks. You just need to go into drafts knowing 
that you're going to lose to Citizen's Crowbar randomly because it blows up artifacts and enchantments and there's so many sweet things to do with artifacts and enchantments. And then also Make Disappear and Disdainful Stroke are just going to be cards that are very good against you that your opponents are going to have. Like, it's very difficult for these style of decks to beat a blue-white deck. Yeah, for sure. All right, so why don't you take us through a little bit of a roundtable here and we can get a sense of of what going deep is like, what kinds of cards you might be giving up on or, or passing up on and and how to just sort of take the plunge to go to the back alleys. All right, so pack one, pick one. You see the following cards as options. Best common in the pack is Rafine's Informant, one and a white for a two-one. When ETBs, it connives. No uncommons in consideration. And then moving on to the mythic rare slot, you've got Titan of Industry, four GGG for the seven-seven with Reach and Trample. When ETBs, you choose two, blow up an artifact or enchantment. Target player gains five. You make a four-four Rhino and you put a shield counter on a creature you control. So I assume that 17 land says that Titan of Industry is better. I think it is one of the few cards that has a higher game in hand win rate than Inspiring Overseer even. I don't think it's crazy to take Rafine's Informant here. I agree. I was asking that question when I sat down to this pack one, pick one. It was at the point in the format where I wanted to branch out and do other things. So I was going to take Titan of Industry. But I think if you're drafting seriously, it's way closer than it should be. Mm hmm. Yeah, for sure. Now, let's say let's say Rafine's Informant is inspiring Overseer here. You're still taking Titan here? Still going deep? I mean, if I'm trying my hardest to win at a Pro Tour or something, I would take the Overseer, I think. Okay, okay. But maybe that's wrong. I don't know. Maybe Titan is good enough. I, I don't think it is. <laughs> After playing with it. I mean, it's great. Don't get me wrong. But Inspiring Overseer just leads you to such a better deck so much more of the time. Agreed. All right, so pack one, pick one, slammed Titan of Industry over Rafine's Informant. And already, you know, there's there's juices flowing, right? You're thinking about how am I going to get to seven mana to cast this card? Okay, I probably want some treasure. I don't just want to be a straight green-white beatdown deck, you know? Like Titan of Industry almost wants you to be base red-green. Right, it, it does feel like it might as well have a mountain in its mana cost. All right, so moving on to pack one, pick two. See the following cards as options commons rough going here there's an echo inspector three and a blue for the two three flyer when etbs it connives there's crooked custodian one and a black for the three two etbs tapped there's a big score three and a red instant as an additional cost to cast it discard a card draw two and create two treasure tokens normally that would not be in consideration but i think it kind of is with titan of industry and then an uncommon is missing out of the pack there's a maestro's charm which there's no world where you're picking there's a little chat one and a blue instant casualty one look at the top two put one of them in your hand the other on the bottom and then your rare is getaway car three mana for the four three haste whenever it attacks or blocks return up to one target creature that crewed it this turn to its owner's hand and it's got a crew cost of one i remember watching this draft you hadn't played with getaway car before this had you I had not, no. Yeah, before I had played with it, I was pretty skeptical of this card, but it's actually pretty darn good. I mean, so one, it can like, you know, pick up creatures that have been put under hold for ransom or under witness protection because you can just crew it and then pick it up. The fact that a 4-3 will often trade with something good, like it's it's rare that this gets blanked because you only get the ability if it, if it uh, attacks or blocks. And then of course, if you pair it with ETBs, like Inspiring Overseer, Corrupt Court Official, whatever, I think this card just really good yeah the thing i had missed on the card was up to one like you don't mm. have to bounce yes. the thing so a three mana four three haste vehicle with crew one it's a pretty powerful card for sure i think this is a pretty straightforward getaway car in my mind but big score being here i think you're, the fact that you're already thinking about that is sweet you would hope it wheels right you hope to see it later 
Yes, that was why I didn't take it, because I was assuming it was going to wheel. And I think the Echo Inspector, it's also tempting to just say, well, I'll take Echo Inspector. I'll draft brokers. Titan of Industry doesn't go great in a broker's deck. And having a seven GGG card and a four drop three blue card to start your draft feels pretty bad to me. I agree. It almost feels like they have to go in separate decks. Yeah. So took getaway car here, not knowing what I was going to do with it, but hoping to do something sweet. Pack one, pick three, see the following cards as options. There's Spar's Adjudicators, the Broker's Family Fixer, another Crooked Custodian, and then a Body Dropper as well, Black Red for the 2-2. When you sack another creature, you put a plus plus one counter on it, and you can pay Black Red to sacrifice another creature to give it menace until end of turn. There's a Wing Shield Agent in the Uncommon slot, two blue for a 2-3 when ETBs has a shield counter on it, and whenever it attacks, it can give up to one other target creature flying until end of turn. And there's also a stimulus package here, two red-green, ETBs make two treasure tokens, you can sack a treasure to make a 1-1 citizen, and then there's a rare and an uncommon missing. I mean, you gotta take stimulus package here, right? You have the seven. You have the seven drop bomb. I have the seven drop bomb. And there's nothing else that goes well with Titan of Industry here. Right. I think that's true. I mean, you could take Sparrow's adjudicators, but again, that's that's going back to, well, am I gonna be brokers and have a broker's deck that supports titan of industry well it's it's hard to have a good broker's deck that supports titan i would say you really need the jewel thieves i think that would be the way to do it right if you're base green Mm -hmm. white with like four jewel thieves or three jewel thieves or something right yeah but then you just have a great deck anyway (laughs) so yeah i took stimulus package here really hoping that i was going to wheel the big score yeah all right moving on to pack one pick four with a titan a stimulus package and a getaway car see the following cards as options there's a broker's hideout that's the broker's fetch land there's make disappear one in a blue for the instant casualty one counter target spell unless its controller pays two and then there's also girder goons four in a black for a four four whenever it dies create a tapped two two black rogue creature token and it's got a bliss cost of three in a black and then in the uncommons, there's a tainted indulgence, maybe for some some card fixing, although with stimulus package, pretty weird to maybe think about playing a tainted indulgence in your deck. And then there's a swooping protector chilling at uncommon as well. I would shout out Miley Cyrus as well. Wrecking Crew is here, four in a red, four or five for each trample. You already have a red green card. I think Wrecking Crew is a, in terms of, you know, we talked about there's not great cards for blocking. There's not great creatures for stabilizing. Wrecking Crew does a pretty good job of stabilizing you a lot of the time. Oh, you don't need to sell me. I love a Miley Cyrus. <laughs> um, so I think for me here, it's between Wrecking Crew and Girder Goons. And I think you can get Wrecking Crews later. I also think Girder Goons gives you a bit of an off-ramp. Like, if you can't do this sweet thing, but if Red-Black Blitz is open, you're happy you take Girder Goons here. And if Red is open otherwise, you're likely to see a Wrecking Crew later. Yeah, I, I took Girder Goons. And I think it's also worth noting that Titan of Industry has changed your picks to some extent right like oh, there's, yeah. there's a world where you go echo inspector into wing shield agent into make disappear and you're feeling great about getting into a good blue start it's just so awkward to do that with a rare as powerful as titan of industry i agree well and I, i'm just even going to harken back you know if you had taken rafine's informant first you make those two blue picks and then you can either take make disappear or swooping protector here like there is definitely a less exciting but certainly serviceable blue white shield counters flyers good start to this draft that you could do yes but we're not here for that show me what happens pick five pick five is going to solidify things pick five solidifies things another week pack there's cabaretty courtyard as a, a fetch land as well as the obscure storefront another wrecking crew 
And then no great commons. There's a dig up the body, which we've noted goes up in value with Titan of Industry. That's two and a black instant casualty one mill to return a creature from your graveyard to your hand. So potentially hoping to wheel that. But in the uncommon slot, we've got Pyre Sledge Arsonist, two and red for the two, two, one tap deals X damage to any target where X is the number of permanents you've sacrificed this turn. All in dealer. Yeah, I think so for me as well. This was where I was like, okay, great. We're doing this thing. I'm going to wheel that big score. This is going to be awesome. But then didn't wield the big score oh no that's such a bummer i know but I, I i will say it's it's pretty interesting i think to to piggyback off of our last episode it's pack one pick five and you're locked i would say right hell or high water you're doing a red green treasure thing at this point yes absolutely and pick six got dust mangler which solidified my nonsense oh. into riveteer's reanimator so yes got, got dust mangler into a deal gone bad as a piece of interaction that's going to deal with shield counters picked up a tramway station, pick eight, and then didn't wield a big score. So noted that and that there might be someone else that's trying to do nonsense that I needed to pick future big scores aggressively. Oh, yeah, this is just a, I was wondering after looking at pack one, if you ended up base Golgari and it does look like you did. Yeah, ended up base Golgari and also just have two spiring overseers on the splash. And my mana is actually insanely good in this deck. You have what? What is that? Eight non-basics? Yeah, eight non-basics. That's awesome. Eight non-basics plus a lot of treasure plus three Halo Scarabs, which I'm like, I don't know if that's a selling point for the deck, but (laughs) we have two drops and then just a bevy of rares. Two Inspiring Overseers, which might as well be rares. Shakedown Heavy, the Black 6-4 with Menace. Zeator's Envoy, the Riveteer's 5-4. And then at the top of the curve, Dust Mangler, Soul of Emancipation, titan of industry yeah i mean if i could sign up and have this deck every draft i absolutely would i know that's all i want to do with these decks after i draft them even if i'm losing i just want to play them the rest of the format yeah there's so much fun to be had here you get to just play with like awesome cards you get to you know i mean your deck is always going to present you with puzzles in terms of like how to order your lands i know you don't like that but i actually find sequencing lands to be a fun puzzle to do this seems like a sweet deck yeah it was a very sweet deck any final thoughts for uh going deep in the format before we sign off i think it's a frame of mind i think it's a state <laughs> of mind i think you really need to just like feel out how to get into the back alleys and once you do you're going to start going there more and more and then i think you just need to be okay with losing some because when you win it feels great. And I do think it is very important to do this in best of three. <laughs> I, I couldn't agree more. I endorse all of those uh, statements. So if you're feeling spicy, if you're feeling like you want to go deep, if you want to visit a lesser traveled street in New Capenna, try this out and hit us up with those sweet screenshots. And if there's any combos or things that you missed, send them our way. Ben and I are looking to cross some things off our bucket list in the next month. Absolutely. All right. Great place to wrap us up. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thanks so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. If you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. And it's summer break for Mr. Metronome, twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Mr. is spelled out. We're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.